for me, kind of pull down. Uh, one, one thing I wanted to mention, uh, David just mentioned it's he and Adrina's two-year anniversary, so congratulations to you guys. I got the opportunity to, to perform their wedding a couple years ago, and it was such a blessing. I'll always remember one line that Adrina gave me, that David works hard for a white guy. So um, I, I was very insulted, but I was like, it's probably true, probably true. She, she, she nailed us there. It's fair. She nailed us there, no, no doubt. Uh, so we are, are continuing our, our series through First John called Love in Christ, uh, where we're thinking about what it means to be in Christian community and to love each other because it's hard. I think it's increasingly difficult. And John comes to something that I think is, is really important for us all to think about and think about together, like at the place we're at as a church, but just individually, collectively, uh, as, as human beings uh, in this world today. We're trying to figure a lot of stuff out. There are so many ways that we can... Um, listen to things that aren't accurate or true. We have fake news now, and it's fake depending on which side of the aisle you're on, like which one is producing the fake news. Or then there's sometimes when your uncle accidentally like reposts a thing from the onion that's not actually real, but like uh, you're like, oh, I cringe. Or you see something and you wish it was from the onion, then it wasn't. You're like, oh man, that's even worse. Like what are we supposed to believe anymore? How do we move forward? And I think that's, that's a great question for us as kind of a, a Christian community, us working together, but just Generally, I think we ask the question politically just everywhere, what is truth, right? How do we live in truth? What does it mean for us to live as as God has called us to live? And John writes with pretty extraordinary confidence about what that might look like. Katie read this for us earlier, but I'll go ahead and, and read it again right now. Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God, because many false prophets have gone into the world. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you've heard is coming and even now is already in the world. You, dear children, are from God. You've overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who's in the world. They are from the world and therefore speak from the viewpoint of the world and the world listens to them. We are from God and whoever knows God listens to us, but whoever is not from God does not listen to us. This is how we recognize the spirit of truth and the spirit of falsehood. So John lays this out and just says there are going to be competing spirits. And we talk, because he previously talks about the understanding of the Antichrist, and we talked about how we like to make the Antichrist, like some politician that we don't like or whatever, and we just put like the stamp, like Antichrist on that person. But what I think John is trying to get us to think about is that as Christians, we can all struggle with anti-Christian tendencies. We can fall into patterns of behavior that we maybe aren't as generous as we should be. Maybe we're, whatever it is, you can kind of go on this path and end up in a place where you're you're not being who God has called you to be. But John writes to this group pretty confidently and says, like, the person who you might say is is from Christ is just very plainly um, the one who recognizes that Jesus came to the world in a body. And he uses the word sarks, which is just grab a piece of your skin if you want to. Just, it's, 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 sarks means like skin and bones, a body. And 
John is saying this because there's definitely some issue in this church. Churches are always going to struggle with like trying to figure out the way forward, what it looks like for them to follow Christ. But this church, one thing that they're struggling with is a thing called Gnosticism, which just basically was this philosophy that you could do whatever you wanted with your body as long as spiritually you acknowledged some sort of God, like the right God. And so this infiltrated Christianity a little bit, where the point it was like, okay, do whatever you want with your body, but then just come to the right place at the right time for an hour during the week, and then like you're all good, and it's going to be fine. I think this understanding is a very popular uh, understanding today, not necessarily in some ways, I think, in Christianity, but just in, in general, I think, we have an understanding that, you know, you can just do whatever you want with your body, and that's okay, and then it's all just going to work out fine. I have a friend. I grew up in this area. Um, as you probably know, I grew up at this church, but I grew up in this area, so I have some, some friends that I've known who, who aren't Christians who are in this area. And one of my friends, uh, he is like a, just basically chose the completely different path from me. He's a very worldly person. He's kind of lived how he's wanted to and done everything. And now he's around my age, and he's realizing that, Partying like a rock star maybe isn't the best way to live once you're 35. You know, it's just kind of like, I don't know that I can keep doing this forever. And he and I have had some conversations, and he just said, like, I kind of want to settle down, but I don't know how to do it. I kind of want to move in this positive direction. I want to make more of a commitment because I think committed relationships are the best, but I don't know how to do it. There's this general understanding, I think, that you can just do whatever you want with your body. You can do whatever you want to do, and just then eventually, like, you'll be able to turn off that switch, right? That at some point, you know, like, like once I get married, then I'll settle down. What are you practicing for? What you do with your body, it matters. How you live, people think, like, oh, no, I, once I get married, then I'm going to stop looking at pornography. Like, when, how are you going to turn that off? John says very clearly, the one who acknowledges that Jesus came in a body, like that is the one to believe. And that has implications then for how we use our bodies, right? And we love to ask the question like, well, is it wrong to fill in the blank? If you have to ask, probably so, right? And if you're like, hmm, is it Yeah, if you have to ask, you might have an understanding, perhaps, so John says the, the people who recognize that Jesus came in a body, and then that has implications because if you're a Christian, if you've been around church for a long time, you probably do believe that Jesus came in the flesh. But that is like an unbelievably very profound and significant doctrine that then should affect how you live. One part of that is that there is great joy in the world. God, I think through Jesus coming into flesh, shows us that there's still so much joy that's available to us. I think oftentimes Christians can start reading their Bible in Genesis chapter 3 when sin enters the world and we forget that God looks at the the world and says, it's good. It's good. What I've created is good. And God invites us sometimes to participate in that goodness. Just think for a minute. I'd love for you to answer this question to somebody near you. Uh, What's something that brings you an unbelievable amount of joy? Maybe it's your fresh-baked cookies or looking at a beautiful mountain, or sitting at the beach. What's something that, like, maybe just more even than the average person brings you a lot of joy? Go ahead and tell somebody next to you.
I bet we have a lot of different answers in this room. Uh, since we live in California, hopefully yours is the beach a little bit since you pay a lot to live here. But um, what is it that, that brings you maybe a deeper sense of joy than the average person? That's one way I think that we can affirm and realize that God's creation is good. It's meant to be a blessing. It's meant to be enjoyed. And there's a reason for that. Because God cares about not just our spirits, but also our bodies. And how we use our bodies to honor and bless him. So John says, if, if you're just going to pretend like it's just this spiritual matter and you can just do whatever you want and Christians can run into this problem too. It's not just people who aren't Christians that you can just do whatever you want with your body and then like if you get to the right place at the right time for an hour, then you're going to be fine. John says you need to acknowledge God in all that you do. It's not just about like on, on paper doctrinally saying, yes, Jesus came in the flesh, but it's about living in a certain way that your body then, it's, it's not your own. And if you live into that, even though there are some, some spirits that are going to come at you, John says to this group, and it's likely, as we've talked about, a house church of people, maybe 15 to 20 people who possibly have the gospel of John. We don't really know what they have or what they're trying to, to live out from exactly. But he says to them, because of how powerful God is, because of who Jesus is in the world, you have the ability to overcome evil spirits which is unbelievable news. And he uses the word which we've talked about before, um, Nike, uh, which is the word that you might have on your shoes. And it's a word that just means that you have, you've overcome, you, you, you have this powerful experience. I can't help but think of the World Cup, which just recently happened, which is always this, this event that gets everybody together and watching soccer, and then we don't watch it for another four years, basically. But um, we especially watch it when the U.S. is in it, but unfortunately they were not. Um, this time, which my nephew from Switzerland talked a lot of trash to me about that. But um, whenever the World Cup happens, it's, it's amazing to see like entire countries of people rooting for this, right? It's not just like the soccer players at the game, though they're really excited. It's not just the people in the stands who are at the game who are really excited. It's like then they pan and, and show like different parts of that country. You know, here they are gathered at like this city center and they're all just like going crazy and losing their minds because a goal has just happened. And it's this moment that is like years and years in the making. Someone has to train their entire lives basically to be that sort of athlete and to be at that level. And it's amazing when that happens and like the whole country is ecstatic because like that goal means so much. It means just in this moment, it might not mean the game, but in that moment, that team has overcome. I think we need a, a better understanding of exactly what it means to live in relationship with God. And it means that you have overcome. That there are going to be things that are going to tempt you. There are going to be ways where you might be tempted to not live out the call that Christ has on your life. But this passage tells us that we can overcome. And not only that, but right from the very beginning, John says something that I think, if we're honest, we're like, whoa, I don't know about that. He says that you, like he's writing this early group of people, and he says you have the ability to discern communally what is of God and what's not. That's pretty hefty if you think about it, right? You have the ability to discern. And the thing is, like, we would all say, whoa, that's pretty tough. Like, if I'm trying to figure out what I should do with my life, I, I don't even know. Like, can I discern God's 
spirit, but it was even crazier for John to say this to this group of people. Because if we were to think that and say, okay, I need to like discern God's will for me, whatever that happens to be. And you know, like I'm trying to think, okay, what should I do for this situation? Or I want to try and discern what God would call for me to do. Uh, you would likely, I mean, hopefully go here, right? You would say, all right, you know, what does God have to say about that? You might look uh, in the back and do a word study or go through it or, or talk to a pastor or just talk to somebody that you respect their knowledge of the Bible. And you would say, all right, you know, what do you, what do you think about this? How can we discern this together? But what's so crazy is John writes this to this probably struggling house church of people, and they don't have this. They just take like this out of the equation. And they might have the gospel of John, perhaps. They might now have this letter from John. They might have another gospel that's floating around. But in the earliest moments of Christianity, it is like the wild, wild west out there. Anybody could come through and have some idea and tell them, well, what you should believe is this, and what you should do, and what you should follow is this. And they're trying to like, figure this out and discern this together. And what an unbelievable moment to be alive, right? To try and figure that out. And so John is writing to this church, and there's obviously some division. There's some issues specifically uh, with Gnosticism. And he says, like, you, John says, you have the ability to discern. And the person listening to that in the house church 2,000 years ago would have said, me? Just like you do, probably. You would probably say, man, I don't know. I don't feel like I study my Bible enough. I don't feel like I pray enough. John says to them, even though you might feel like it, that you can't figure this out. And all these different people are coming at you with these different ideas and trying to sway you to to move in one way or another. You, if you will just truly bring your heart before God, you have the ability to discern the Spirit of God together. He uses a a word, um, dokimazo, which is a word that was used uh, to describe when someone would examine a coin. Because there were counterfeit, there's counterfeit money back then, and so people would like look at it. You know, you go to the market and you try to pay for something, and they would look at it to examine to make sure. It's what they do still today with hundred dollar bills. I don't really pay with hundred dollar bills very often. If you do, let's have lunch and you can pay. But um, if if you're just like throwing hundreds all around, like oh, let's hang out. Uh, but if you pay with a hundred dollar bill, you know they're like they give it like they look it all over. They they make sure that it's legit. They they, they check it out. And John says to this community, again, they might have a gospel, perhaps. You can discern God's spirit. He says, like, one thing. He says, you're going to have to, if you're going to live from that, you have to understand that Jesus came in the flesh. Like, that is, that is part of this. But you, group of people that isn't, a group of scholars or theologians. You, people who feel pretty normal and average, you have the ability to live into God's call for your life. That takes discernment together, and it's not always easy. But what John says is, 
It doesn't have to be like you're a super Christian or you have everything down. You, person who doesn't feel like you should be able to do this, you have this ability. This is consistent with what John writes in 1 John 2, verses 26 and 27. Uh, He says, I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you don't need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and then as that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it is taught you, remain in him. He writes to this group of people and says, you have an amazing ability together to discern who God is, what God is calling your Christian community to. You have the ability to lean into the goodness of God. You have the ability to do some amazing things for the sake of of the gospel, you, like struggling house church 2,000 years ago, you can do it. And what I think is pretty amazing is, again, those people likely would have been like, I don't know, I don't know about me, I don't know, is this really the call that's on my life? Should I, is that really for me? There's a reason why I believe we can say that we know that it's true. We're still here, right? I love how Acts, it's one of the original disses, that the group of people are seeing what the disciples are doing, and they're like, these are just unschooled, ordinary men. That's like how the disciples are described. We're still here. And it's not just us. It's people all over the the world that get a chance to celebrate the coming of Jesus. Because some people who probably felt pretty ordinary leaned into the power of God. And they decided together, I'm going to lean into what God has called me to. I'm going to continue, God, continue to just give me the eyes to see the world as you would see it. God, continue to work in me and, and lean into that spirit and presence. Jesus, when he's going away in John, he tells them, I know that you would prefer that like bodily I would be here for you, but trust me, what I'm giving you is so much better. We have the opportunity daily to lean on God's spirit and presence to sustain us. As we think through, like, what does it mean to to trust? What is fake news? Where should I go? What should I do? How should this be with me? We're sometimes wondering, you know, who, who should I follow? What voices should I listen to? And the thing that we all always need to consider is that the good news of God is always about word becoming flesh. That God's word moves in somebody and it produces fruit in that person's life. So as you think about like who, who to believe, what to, what to say or what to follow, I love what, how uh, Andy Stanley, one of my favorite ministers says, he says, the life of a good person is going to produce good things. If you're trying to figure out who to believe, ask these questions. Does his wife love him? Does she have close friends? And this is like talking about different people, not like the gender change. Are his kids still around? Do his coworkers appreciate his work? Of course, no one's perfect, but I've found that good people generally have high scores in several of these areas. If you want to test the, the godliness of someone, look for their fruit. If you're thinking about, okay, you know, what, what should I follow? What should I believe? Look for the fruit in someone's life. 
Because what God is calling you to, what God is calling all of us to, is not always going to be easy. And remember, we worship someone who died on a cross. So what God is calling us all to isn't always going to be easy. In fact, sometimes I think it's accepting hard news and then moving on from there. Just because someone says something to you that's difficult and hard for you to believe or hard for you to trust doesn't mean that that person is necessarily in the wrong. Luke chapter 4 tells us the story of Jesus' first sermon. And I know a little bit about that because he preached in his hometown. And he gets up there and he starts and everybody loves what he says. Wow, what an anointed prophet. I can't believe this is Joseph's son. Are you kidding me? This guy's up here. He's so good with a mic. And then... They didn't have mics, but he's so good standing up there uh, in front of us. And then he presses in on them and tells them some news that they don't want to hear. That the good news of God is going to go beyond the Jewish people. And he says, actually, there's some Old Testament proof text for that. There's a couple people who are like, you would be pretty surprised. And they get a bit upset about it. And Luke 4 tells us this, that after his, his sermon, I guess maybe, do we not have that? Maybe we don't, but in, there we go. Uh, all the people in the synagogue were furious when they heard this. They got up, drove him out of town, and took him to the brow of the hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off the cliff. But he, Jesus, juked them and walked through the crowd and went on his way. I, this is one of the moments in Scripture that I wish I was there for. Like, that is just like, wait, how did that happen? How do you go from like, we're going to get you to now all of a sudden he's gone? I don't really understand, but it's pretty awesome. And I always say, when I preached my first sermon, I got taken out to Fuddruckers. When Jesus preached his, he was going to want to get thrown off a cliff. So this does not mean that everything that we're going to hear is going to be palatable and easy for us to take down. Sometimes the truth, the stuff that's actually going to change your life and move you in the direction that you need to go, is going to be hard for you to hear. Sometimes you're going to want to kill the messenger or want to throw that messenger off a cliff. But in community, John has deep belief in what we're able to accomplish together. He has deep belief that if people come together and they acknowledge that Jesus Christ came to earth with skin on, it's amazing the people of God can do. So there are going to be difficult spirits. There's going to be people who don't always agree. There's going to be things that continue to happen. But what fruit is being produced? What ways are people maturing and growing? And it's almost intimidating to hear what John has to say, right? That we have this ability we can really put on the skin, the flesh of Jesus, and be Jesus in our community and in the world, that we can overcome, that we get to experience those moments together. It's intimidating. What John, I think, is revealing is that God's Spirit can give us great life. And you, even though you struggle to believe this, and they struggled to believe it 2,000 years ago, we still struggle to believe it. But he says you have the ability to lean into God's spirit and presence. And we sing the song, Jesus, you're my firm foundation. Is that true? 
or is Jesus just like a supplement for your life? Like, oh, I need a little bit of help. Jesus, I'll come to you. Mostly I'll take the wheel, but every once in a while I'll hand it over like when things get really screwed up. May we all lean more into the power of God because what makes us significant, what makes us beautiful, I believe, as a community is in those moments when we desperately need God's work, when we desperately need God's spirit to work in us and through us, those are the moments that I believe we most are available to God. And when God can do powerful things in us and through us. So I just invite you this week to pray and say, God, would you let your spirit infuse me more? God, would you be part of of my life that I would be able to live this out? That I would get some glimpses of exactly who you are? Because again, this is John writing to people who feel very, very ordinary, people who don't feel like they have it all together, people who might have a gospel, And he says to them, you have an extraordinary ability, not because of who you are, but because of the God that you serve. And again, John was proven right. Because 2,000 years later, there's a group of us here and there are people all over the world who believe in Jesus. Because people refuse to just look at their own weaknesses and their own insufficiencies and their own issues, and instead they chose to lean into the mighty power and work of God. Maybe recognize that God's spirit and presence is still very much alive in us and can work through us.